Hello and welcome to Mums Work and Chaos with me, Louise. They say it takes a village to raise a child, so let me help you build yours. During this journey, I'll be learning about everything from neurodiversity in children's literature through to body image post-pregnancy. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of Mums Work and Chaos today with me, Louise. This is part of our starting school series um, and I'd really like to introduce you, actually welcome back, um, Charlotte Hall, Speech Therapy with Charlotte, and also um, introduce you to Sam from SPD Tuition and Coaching. Um, Charlotte, why don't you introduce yourself? So I'm Charlotte, I'm a speech and language therapist and I'm the founder of Speech Therapy with Charlotte. So I'm a practicing speech and language therapist. And at the moment, a lot of my work is around kind of training school staff to support um, children's speech and language in schools. And also I have extra qualifications, which mean that I'm part of the autistic diagnostic pathway as well. Um, but speech therapy with Charlotte really focuses also on helping parents who are waiting for speech therapy for their kids, because we know that there's loads of those kids out there, unfortunately, more kids needing speech therapy than there are speech therapists able to support them at the moment. So I really want to make sure that parents feel empowered about how to support their children whilst they're waiting. And so um, I have lots of resources available on my social media accounts, Speech Therapy with Charlotte. And I also have a podcast which is called Just Three Things. And it gives parents actionable advice, um, short, sweet episodes, no more than 15 minutes. Just three things that you could do to support your child whilst you're waiting for speech therapy. Oh, that's brilliant. And I... I'm an avid listener of your podcast anyway um but we we did an episode a while ago um about the weight as well um and uh, you'll be very pleased to know that my seven-year-old has had her had her first speech therapy session at school um and is expecting more in September so but honestly thank you so much it was amazing to talk to you all about that as well and Sam so I'm Samantha Delarkia. Um, I'm very excited to be here for the first time round. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, I run a company called SPD Tuition and Coaching. Um, it started off as a tutoring company. I used to be a, um, a deputy head teacher and then went into teacher training and consultancy. Um, and one of the things that I noticed through all my roles in, in the education system was that the gap between what children think they can do and what they actually can do lies kind of in the, the belief structuring, I guess, um, mm. that they have inside. So I went into the coaching industry and I, I now do a whole host of different things. But the main focus that we have um, at the moment is working with teachers and delivering teacher training, uh, working with parents and delivering parental strategy sessions. Um, and of course, the, the, the work we do with children directly all around managing and supporting behavior through emotional regulation. Um, and we really focus on three elements when it comes to this, uh, the physiology, the beliefs and the communication, which is why Charlotte and I work so well and heavily together <laughs> uh, because it's so connected. Um, and one of the things that we are currently doing is launching the first uh, of its kind, I guess, in terms of a behavior management system so we've created something called the behavior balance system which is all around how we regulate emotion through co-regulation um, and self-regulation and how we support 
the bridge between home and school without using rewards and punishments. So this is a, a huge quest that, that we're on. Um, Charlotte is actually part of the, the balance team, which is great. Um, and we launched the online portal for this in September. Um, and it really is about supporting parents, practitioners and children in supporting behavior change that's sustainable um, through the neuroscience that drives it. So really, really exciting kind of project that we're working on at the moment. That's amazing. I was um, I was actually reading up about uh, that the whole um, your your balance program as well, which is seems awesome. And the whole idea of not using rewards and punishments is so it, it is so different to what's drilled into us or what was drilled into us as kids, having received rewards and punishments for <laughs> for our actions and behaviours. And I think as well, trying to move into that sort of more gentle parenting sphere and realizing that you can't get it right all the time and you need to give yourself a break obviously um it makes sense to move into that sort of sort of way of doing things and uh and and combining the two so it sounds awesome I'm really excited to look into it more thank you I think one of the you know the the difficulty is that if we don't have rewards and punishment, what, what do we do? Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> it sounds scary, like, doesn't what it? What do I do if I don't have a sticker chart, you know? Or what do I do <laughs> if I can't, like, you know, tell them off, you know? And, and it's giving that alternative approach to behaviour that, that I think we are really excited about um, and, and bringing kind of that collective approach because the the, the balance team is, is full of a whole host of different people. We've got kind of the occupational therapist. We've got our speech and language therapist, the lovely Charlotte. We've got, you know, a sleep coach, a nutritionist. We've got so many people. People working to support behavior because it's just never in the moment stuff you know it's this whole yeah. ongoing you know ongoing beast if it you like you know that we are trying to work with with even us as grown-ups you know our behavior is not in the moment stuff it's it's a collection of things isn't it yeah no 100% and I think I think that's the thing is it it only takes one person in the house to wake up on the wrong side of the bed for it to throw a complete everyone's day off so um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great to like look at the whole ecosystem as it were mm. um so today we're talking all about starting school um we will be mentioning both primary and secondary um in this episode yeah. um but I think one of the one of the things that really sort of hit from my listeners um I did a poll recently asking what their sort of like greatest concerns about their child starting school were and obviously one of them was will they actually eat their school dinners doing a podcast later on this week about that um but also um both the parents and child's anxiety around whether they're going to make friends when they get to school um seems to be quite a big one if I'm honest and having I've got a seven-year-old who is now entering into year three which is crazy to think that she's been at school that long um but that was one of my biggest fears as well was like whether she'd actually make friends when she started school she attended a big nursery setting um only one other child from that nursery went to her school as well and they didn't really have that crossover. They were all in on different days and, and things as well. So um, it meant that she really didn't know anyone when she started. Um, so, yeah, how how can we, I guess, how can we try and sort of like aid our child in, in lessening their anxiety around 
making friends but also lessen our own anxiety because we do we do pass those feelings on to our children as well <laughs> it's a bit like it's a bit like having a dog that senses fear or <laughs> your child can sense your feelings and 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 they will pick up on those as well won't they so what what can we do to help lessen those anxieties for everyone I think it's a big it's a big huge question there isn't it mm. <laughs> But there's a few things I think first of all I think what you said Louise is really um kind of fundamental that would be I think the starting point um but I think as an adult you need to identify your own emotions around this because you kind of need to unpick that and know how you're feeling because as Sam mentioned before regulation is at, at the center of all of this and to help our children to regulate we need to be kind of like a calm safe space for them so actually we need to deal with our own issues and our own feelings about this so that we can kind of be that safe place of calm for our kids um we also need to have a think about like the importance of friendships as well because there's so much particularly if we think about primary school first there's so much going on in this period of transition going into primary school that actually um whilst we know that having positive um peer relationships is really important overall for your mental health and well-being and particularly long term it is a period of change and things happen gradually and actually there's other things that may be more of a priority for your kids in the first instance like just getting comfortable with their environment working out what what the school is like working out what the new adults are like actually it might not be their priority to make really sound friendships at this stage because a lot of these kids also are only four years old and actually developmentally at this stage whilst kids are often obviously really interested in their peers the way that they play is playing alongside their peers, you know, like moving quickly from one kind of group of people to another, because it's more about the thing that the kids are playing with rather than actually doing it with another person. So I think we need to have age appropriate um, kind of realistic expectations on what these friendships look like for the four year olds as well. So there's kind of a lot of like, I, I guess Sam would call this belief work, you know, like we need to really be like doing the work of thinking about like what is the issue here but there are kind of like practical things that you can be doing to support your kids with kind of the making of friends and I think at this stage like the making of friends is really more just about like helping children navigate those social relations uh, social situations I guess with their peers so at a basic level when you're four years old and you're starting school some of the key things that they might need to know is like how to initiate how to play with someone else yeah. so if your child can talk actually practicing some key scripts or phrases with them things like can I play maybe practicing that, that out in role play or practicing that with different toys could be really useful if your child isn't speaking um thinking about whether there's any other kind of alternative communication that they could be using to enter into that play and then um, Sam and I actually have come together and we've created this online program called skip into September primary prepared and we cover this a lot because actually even like just having a joint play session with another child can be quite complicated so there's sort of three phases the joining of the play the initiating the play the actual playing together and also terminating the play or being okay when somebody else leaves the play you know like if they walk off or say they don't want to play anymore that doesn't necessarily mean that they're never going to play with you ever again that just might mean that they're off to do something else so kind of it's worth spending some time kind of role playing playing with puppets all three of those parts of play absolutely yeah, I did that as well with the with the initiating play element I think I should have maybe done some more practice on the being okay with the play ending element if I'm honest 
because yeah. it's really hard isn't it it's a really hard thing to be able to do is um stop a game so I um I hope it's okay to share this but I picked up yeah. my son from nursery a little while ago and his termination of play if you you'd like was you're not my best friend anymore mummy's now my best friend because that's how he was like there we go I've stopped playing with you I'm, I'm off with mummy um, and I kind of reiterated that for him and said oh Hunter you know I think maybe maybe we mean I'm finished now I'll see you tomorrow what do you think and he was like mm, okay yes I finished now I'll see you tomorrow and he kind of practiced it with me uh, with this little friend of his and I think you know we forget that actually saying goodbye is not always you know free-flowing it doesn't always come really quickly yeah. um and just to pick up on you know this whole idea of friendships I think absolutely what Charlotte was saying is is hitting it on the nail you know hitting the nail on the head um if you like when it comes to primary versus secondary if we think about age and stage of development they're not at the age where friendships are the highest priority when they are starting primary, but they are when they're starting secondary. You know, that transition from uh, year six into year seven, <laughs> or if they're changing, you know, depending on, on which, which structuring they're, they're in, um, that change is far more intense, if you like, emotionally. Um, and if you think about the, the brain structure of a, of a teenager versus the brain structure of a four-year-old, it's very, very different experience. Mm. So I think when we're looking at how we support our children in those transitions, it looks really different and it feels really different. For our four-year-olds, we're looking at, as, as Charlotte was saying, that kind of interaction-based stuff and, and knowing how to navigate those situations without, you know, setting each other's fight or flight off. <laughs> Um, whereas with our secondary school transition, it really is about maintaining those friendships outside of school alongside supporting them in what group they want to land in or what, mm. what they want to do in those those down times, because it tends to be those down times where they just don't really know what to do and they retreat because they if they haven't got a sturdy group of friends going with them, it's like, oh, you know, the, in the canteen, who do I talk to or where do I sit? You know, I've, I've worked with lots of teenagers, so I do one to one work, lots of teenagers who will sit by themselves or just grab their lunch and go and sit like, you know, somewhere else because they haven't got those friendships in place already. And they just don't really have the, the confidence, I guess, to pitch up next to someone new and be like, hey, can I sit with you? <laughs> you know, and that's such a big thing for the teenage brain. I think that that secondary school life is so much more nomadic like in primary school you're always with the same class you're with the same group of people that's the way it is you might mix if if it's like a two three four entry primary school you might actually mix with some of the kids in the other classes in the same year but generally you don't like mix with other children in different years you stick with your friend groups in those years or maybe even play with siblings of of your friends or or your siblings friends but once you get into secondary school you've got your form group which you're in for less than an hour every morning for registration you've then got you know your maths group your English group so on and you might find that there are a few children a few other children in there who are 
who have similar timetables to you. But other than that, you're going to see different people throughout the day for most of the day. So actually having one solid group of friends at, at secondary school can be quite a difficult thing to achieve. So finding people to sit with in the canteen, I can imagine that's quite hard. And like before we started recording, Sam, you were saying as well, like you, you're working with one child who's, whose actual lunch break is only 25 minutes long, which is insane. So trying to find a group of people within 25 minutes to sit and eat lunch with us was just <laughs> quite an achievement in itself. Had that to spot someone, yeah, spot someone from afar, grab my lunch, eat it quick and get out of the way, you know, it's, yeah. it's mad. And it, it, it's not only an external chaos, but it creates an internal chaos, doesn't it? It creates that, that fear almost and anxiety around lunchtimes, which of course, impacts communication doesn't it Charlotte and then that impacts the connection that you're able to form with the people around you because you're not feeling emotionally safe in order to to make those connections so I guess that's where there is some similarity then between the support that you you need to be thinking about as parents in the two different transitions because I guess the idea is you actually like kind of need to think about what some of the different social situations are have a think with your kid if they're able to engage in that conversation so because when you're in that situation if you've got 15 minutes to eat your lunch 25 minutes for the whole lunch break your your anxiety is heightened at that moment anyway you're not going to be able to problem solve what to do in that moment whereas if you and your child over the summer at a point of calm can think about these different scenarios okay so let's imagine you've gone into the lunch hall and there's no one there that you know what are you going to do and there isn't necessarily a right answer there, but it's about finding the right thing for your child and just mm. helping them have thought of that and thinking about the different options ahead of time so that they don't have to, you know, it just lessens that kind of panic in the moment. So it's sort of like that similar idea for both transitional points of like, let's have a think about what some of these new different social situations might be. Let's have a think together about how we could figure it out. And And a lot of it is just, practice and Sam and I both have this mantra that we live by which oh, is yes. practice makes progress <laughs> you're not going to ever necessarily get it right on the first time but hey guess what if you go into the lunch hall that first day and it was dreadful and you hated it let's continue the conversation come back and tell me about it and we'll think about could you have done anything differently so that next time maybe we can make it slightly better yeah and also that it's okay to feel uncomfortable yeah you know? I think when, when our children are at primary school, it's this whole idea of you have to be friends with everyone and, you know, that that kind of follows all the way up and then they get to secondary school and no one really talks about friendship groups a great deal. And, you know, it's all kind of like, off you go, <laughs> you go and crack on now. Um, and the idea is dis it kind of disappears, doesn't it, that you have to be friends with everyone. It's about finding your, you know, your, your, your tribe, if you like. Um, and that can be really difficult because we don't necessarily practice that that notion at primary in preparation for secondary it's mm. that the expectation is that you're just friends with everyone at primary um, and I think sometimes some children uh, particularly when they get to those middle years in primary school and they start deciding that actually they don't quite like everyone <laughs> and not everyone likes them you know that yeah. can be a really hard experience can't it and you know when we're looking at starting school practicing the idea of that isn't the worst thing you know if we can start with the idea that you will like some people some people will love you and that's great but sometimes you know you might not like playing with some people and that's okay too you know you don't have to 
always be the most popular one or the, yeah. the most this, you know, teaching our children they are enough no matter what from the get-go um, is a really strong belief structure to, to lay foundations for. I think that was one of the, the weird things for me it was like she started reception just as we come out of one lockdown and then went into another. So um, she started reception in 2020. So that September um, school was open. So we were in school up until the Christmas break. And then we were back into this lockdown again. And it was all homeschool from there until she started back in the summer term. So she missed a whole term of school. So they were just grateful to be back with each other. And it wasn't until I think about the second half of year one that she suddenly started realising that not everyone wanted to play the same games as her. And she was like, oh, well, I don't understand it. Harvey was playing Frozen with me before and now he doesn't want to play Frozen with me. And I'm like, OK, well, what character is Harvey in your Frozen game? Well, he's Olaf. And I'm like, OK, maybe he just doesn't want to be Olaf. Maybe ask him if he wants to be Sven. Maybe ask him if he wants to be Kristoff. Maybe, or maybe ask what game he wants to play. It's just like, oh. And suddenly this notion that other people had other games that they wanted to play and it wasn't all about what game she wanted to play hit her. And she was like, oh, OK. <laughs> next what do you mean it's all in. about me yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> next day she came in I was like how was school she was like oh it was great we played Ninja Turtles at lunch time <laughs> I was like there you go <laughs> see you've got to experience a different game we got to play something different but yeah now that they're about to go into to year three she's suddenly again realizing that actually there are some people that she doesn't want to play with and not necessarily and the whole class birthday parties have sort of tailed off and stopped and now we're into smaller smaller group birthday parties and I, I think in some cases it's been a bit of a, a hard one for her that sometimes for some birthdays she hasn't been invited but equally she understood that you know we couldn't invite everyone to our house and we needed to cut down the birthday list a bit little bit and so it could only be like people she was really really fond of um so yeah getting getting through those ideas that again yeah not everyone's gonna like everyone you don't like everyone they don't not everyone's gonna like you but that's all right because look at the people who do like you they're the special people oh okay yeah that's cool and so it's it I can yeah it's, it can be quite tricky um getting getting that into their heads as well can't it that I yeah, so sorry, it just popped into my head as you were saying. So I always use the analogy of fruits or food mm. because I always thought, you know, I love and I, I like, like certain fruits, but other people don't. So yeah. the analogy of the being the best peach in the fruit bowl, but not everyone likes peaches. You know, you're the best version of yourself and you're awesome. You are the most juiciest peach in the fruit bowl. But some people prefer a banana and that's okay you know like just having that analogy because they're like oh yeah I don't really like peaches actually you know or I don't really like bananas actually um just so they can kind of understand that concept of we don't love everything all of the time you know and sometimes that's okay does it yeah. wrong with that peach or that banana it's just not it's just not my thing so um now on your I, I I did watch your webinar recently that you also did with um Daisy five minute mum um and uh which was really helpful really useful um and one of the things um you sort of touched upon Charlotte was 
how we sort of describe school before it starts to our young ones. Um, and, you know, in the case of uh, the description that most of us use when we're transitioning our child from nursery or preschool or even a home setting to school um, is, is big school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and you, you, you touched upon something there that really made me go, oh, um, and yeah, it was it was that big school might be interpreted in a certain way by some children. So uh, could you would you mind delving into that a little bit more for me? Of course. Yeah. So so young children tend to be very concrete in their understanding of language. So that's why when children are learning language, they'll first learn the names of objects in front of them. There tend to be most kids like first words because it's easy to see something really concrete in front of them and some of those more abstract concepts are the ones that kind of come a bit later developmentally so um I've got real personal experience of this because when my son he's now just about to go into year two he's about to go into year two but about six months before he started primary big school um he was just getting really like he he didn't seem ready he was getting really overwhelmed by it so I started doing a bit of unpicking and it turned out that he thought big school was this one really big school that all the older kids go to because everybody everywhere we went kept saying to him, are you going to big school soon? And he knew that his cousins who don't live anywhere near us went to big school. He knew that all of the kids who had left nursery the year before him, they went to big school. And in his mind, it was this one really big school that all these kids go to because it all had the same name. And once I'd got to the bottom of that, obviously, then I was able to actually like say to him, well, actually, that's not what it is. And then we just started being much more specific about what that meant for him. So rather than calling it big school, we used the name of his actual school. We talked about the name of his actual teacher. We talked about what the school looked like by showing him photos of what the school looked like. And actually, we were relocating at that time. So once we moved here, we showed him the actual school. We walked and we saw the outside of the school. Um, it was COVID time, so we weren't able to go in and look around, but we did have some photos from inside school that we showed him. I showed him a photo of his teacher. Um, I showed him what his school uniform was going to look like. So rather than focusing on this abstract concept of school, we focused in on the things that were much more concrete, both in terms of the language that we used, but also what we were able to show him. And just that shift for him really de-escalated those feelings of anxiety because it was just this mystery concept that he didn't understand and that he was finding really overwhelming and understandably so you know that's a lot of kids across the world who are all going to this big school right <laughs> it's really funny because I hadn't even thought about it in that way um when um when I was describing it to to my big one and um, hearing you talk about it and, and mention that story on the webinar, it just made me go, oh, that explains everything. <laughs> 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 because, but um, uh, something something else you guys mentioned as well, and, and like you just sort of um, touched on there as well, Charlotte, was um, using like visual props to sort of prepare your child for school, like um, like using the website and showing pictures of the school. And that was something that I did with my eldest. We would drive past the school on the way to my work. And so I'd be like, oh, there's your there's your school. We're driving past it. And um, and then in my uh, in my over brain that I have, 
<laughs> it was uh okay so where am I going to park how long does it take to walk all of that sort of stuff was going through my brain so like any anxiety I could possibly find I found in the run-up to school and then uh <laughs> <laughs> and then turned it into preparedness um but we we did we we found parking spaces near school because the school's on a main road and so it was like where down the back streets can we park so it's on the main road in a small village and it was like okay so where can we park how long does it take to walk um as I said we already didn't know anyone who was going to the school so I had my own anxieties about making friends um <laughs> and then um and and it all worked out well in the end but um i think one of the one of the best things i did with her prior to starting school was buying her school uniform in enough time that she got to try it on um and and try dressing herself because she was very independent prior to school she wanted to choose her own clothes and dress herself but she didn't have a uniform at nursery so getting used to the idea of this is the thing I wear every day until the weekend. And um, and also having to contend with um, buttons on the shirt and especially that tricky collar button um, as well. So running through actually getting dressed in the morning was, was fun. Um, but, you know, is, is there anything else that, that we can do to sort of like help with with that getting dressed element because I mean Sam you must have experienced this um getting your kids ready for PE oh yeah is, uh, saying, is a real pain isn't it flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> children lined up for that top button um yeah absolutely and I think we forget that developmentally our children aren't actually always ready for those things yeah you know? Um, if we and one of the things that we cover in Skip and and in the, on the um, webinar as well is the fact that some so much of it is physical development, you know, mm. the the fact that they need to sit for long periods of time, the fact that they need to learn how to do their buttons, the fact they need to be able to put their jumpers on or take them off. There are so many children that go through those hot days in the classroom with their jumpers stuck on because they don't know how to take them off. And because they don't really kind of register that they're really too hot um, until they're asked. And then all of a sudden they're like, actually, yeah, I'm really sweaty. <laughs> I don't <laughs> see it off. Um, practicing that is great. And I, I found that children really um, respond well. If you put something on a, a, a soft toy, but then have them sit that toy on their lap and do it from behind. Uh, because if you think about when we teach them and I've done lots with you know the 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 uh, you can buy like those boards and they've got all the bits on and you teach them how to tie yeah. buttons or do the plugs and all that sort of jazz um, and they're great for fine motor skills of course but when it comes to putting them on it's all backwards yes. so then they go from doing buttons on someone else which they're like yeah I can do it success and they go to do it on themselves and like this is weird <laughs> that doesn't make sense um so when you can just stick it on something put it on its lap and be like now have a go you know because actually that's the angle that they're going to be working with um lots of schools now uh have, I don't know if this is a good thing or not really um but now have PE days so children don't have to change for PE 
mm. um, a lot of the time anymore. Um, personally, I'm not a fan of this. I actually think that for a number of reasons, you know, safeguarding and also, you know, just developmentally and, and that process and all of the, the things that they get from, from that changing element um I think that they should change for PE at school um but you know we're cutting down to make time in the timetables for all the other stuff that's really really important um but we won't go into that so I do think it is something they need to practice I definitely think it's something that our children don't always get the hang of straight away mm. and patience is so so important um I always say to my son oh this is an opportunity to practice that patience. Is it in your pocket? And he goes, oh, maybe. <laughs> you know, <it's> not, <laughs> I'm not sure about that patience in my pocket business. Um, but it, it's a great kind of practicing moment. And as we yeah. said earlier, practice makes progress. So, um, yeah. A really I, sure. My nieces have PE days at their primary school. And um, if I'm honest, I, as a parent, would not like PE days for the sole reason that my child would never go in in their PE kit because I'd always bloody forget <laughs> I'm that parent who um who relies on the school email reminders like literally the night before to tell me that I have to bring in a pound bring in a tray of cakes and also do crazy hair all on the same day three days before the end of term because that's when they always do it which seems very strange um and uh you know I'm I'm that parent and so unless someone was there to remind me that it was PE day and she had to go in her PE kit she'd always be in her school uniform having to do PE in a vest and knickers so <laughs> it would not work for me <laughs> you're not alone there you're absolutely not alone there and I think we do. Well, there's so much to remember. As a teacher, full dis disclosure here, as a teacher without children, I would always wonder, you know, about parents. Like, well, how can you not remember that it's PE day? It's the same day every week. Yeah. As a now parent, I get it so much more. <laughs> I'm like, no wonder these parents forgot that it was PE day or that it was this day or that day, because parent life is chaos. It's, it's gorgeous and wonderful, but it's also overwhelming and, you know, chaotic and painful and like it, it, all of these things in one, yeah. you know, as a teacher, sometimes if, if you haven't got children, it, it isn't, um, it isn't clear cut as to, to why these things are. But, you know, when you become a parent, you're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yep. That's why the chaos is in the podcast name. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> I I always used to feel like um even even from the very beginning attending those little baby classes and things my you know she was always the one who had the punami just as we were about to walk out the door I would forget something like I'd bring half a change of clothes instead of a whole change of clothes because I was just chucking things in the changing bag as we were trying to leave the house to get to baby sensory on time and then I'd be the one who turned up five minutes late and then she because she just had the punami she'd want to feed the whole way through the class and wouldn't take part and then nap for the second half of the class after you've had the playtime halfway through and I was just like why am I paying 75 pounds a term to just have a panic attack every time I have to leave the door <laughs> and, practice um, makes progress <laughs> yeah but she's seven and it still happens now 
<laughs> no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but you know, it's it's always that thing, isn't it? Just as you're leaving the house, like um, the the I know for a fact that my two youngest ones are not going out to play in the garden today because it's raining. However, I didn't remember their raincoats in the first place, so if they could go out in the garden, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Three to remember, a full time job, and everything else on top. It's really fun. Um, but yeah, so. We've we've covered off sort of like the language we use to describe school, um, how we can sort of like coach our kids with the idea of, of making friends and, and getting them used to the idea of the school environment that they're going into, whether that's, you know, little big school or big, big school. And um, and also that the sort of like, I, I guess. Nursery and and home life is sort of it's a lot more play-based learning kids are always on their feet running around they can move from table to table and make their own decisions about what they want to do whether that's you know playing on the scooters in the garden or play-doh or baking if that's what they if that their nursery also caters for that um and and so on but actually getting used to the idea of having to sit to learn it's a it's a fun one isn't it and I mean, my my daughter didn't quite get the hang of it when she first started um, and still every now and again will offer to pick everyone's books up and take them to the back of the classroom because she just needs to get up and move around the room. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very big transition from this play-based, standing, moving learning to that seated learning style, isn't it, Sam? It's a, it's a huge thing. It is. Um, and my my opinions on this <laughs> um, are pretty strong. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll put a warning on there um, because actually we're not built for sitting. Mm. Human beings, we are built for movement. Um, we process emotion better when we're moving. We engage our brains better when we're moving. We have energy spikes throughout the day, which guess what guys involves moving um <laughs> you know so one of the things that we are doing a lot of work with the schools that we're currently in in terms of the the balance you know approach um is around the school day is around what movement is necessary because i know lots of schools have you know suddenly injected their day with like movement breaks which is great it's a great starting point hallelujah we've got some movement it's not always the right movement at the right time but you know it's a work in progress um so it really is important and i think when it comes to supporting our children with you know the 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 system as it is um we really need to teach them how to sit um and if you watch the webinar if you kind of look at skip or if you do any of the work that i i deliver i always start my trainings with training to sit mm. there is a way to do that it's a a way that helps us to i guess open the internal channels from our brain to our body because they are connected <laughs> although we don't always realize it you know um it's a way that we can make sure that our children are able to hold themselves because a lot of the time they're actually just not strong enough in their core 
to sit for sustained periods of time. Um, and a lot of schools still have, unfortunately so, the approach of, you know, whole body listening, which is where they sit with their arms crossed and their legs crossed. And I don't know any grown up that would be comfortable sitting like that during a meeting or a podcast or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, so there are lots of alternative ways that our children can sit and also engage um, in listening. So if you're a teacher or an educator listening to this, please get in touch if you're um, still whole body listening um, to find out how you can do something alternative to that and maximize success for your learners. Um, but if you're a parent and you're thinking, okay, well, that's not the option in the school that they're at, then a lot of core work. So all the, the movement stuff at home is going to support that, that core strength because that is what's going to enable them to sit um, and make them feel more comfortable sitting. And of course, stretching and things like that because crossing your legs is really uncomfortable. It's not mm. something we're naturally built to do. It's, it's very bizarre. <laughs> I think um, since working with Sam and in our Skip Into September programme, we go into this a lot through the work that Sam does, it, it became much more... Um, parent and help me understand the importance of kind of supporting our children's physical development as part of school readiness um so actually you know like the benefits of being outside getting active doing exercise I always did that stuff with my kids anyway mm. but I understand better now the links between that and things like sitting in class so actually although it, it I guess it doesn't it didn't pre-working with Sam it didn't completely make sense how doing your exercise and getting really active then helps you sit, but it's all because you're building up that, that core strength and that, that those core muscles, which then helps you physically be able to control yourself for sitting for longer. Absolutely. And even things like crawling, you know, I've worked with so many parents over the years as an educator, but also as a, a parental strategist now that, you know, they, are almost kind of pleased if their children have skipped crawling and of course we don't really have a great deal of control over our children's development at that point but yeah. encouragement of crawling is really really a huge impact in terms of their ability to read for example the the skill set that they get when they learn to crawl translates into reading later down the line um so that motion is a, a really important one when it comes to their education. Um, but again, it's that physiology first before um, the academic success. And, and the same if you think about all the, the Play-Doh or the, you know, anything that's muscle building in our hands, that translates into our, our writing element, you know? Mm -hmm. So all of the skills that we are going to be promoting in school, we actually start far before that you know long long before that um because we're working on the, the physical developmental cycle of what, what they're experiencing it's funny isn't it so like my eldest bum shuffled and yeah. then walked my middle one crawled very briefly but she was walking at just just before she turned 11 months she took her first proper steps and my youngest was walking at nine months um, and she didn't crawl at all and so um, and like my my eldest has just moved she moved on to um, now I know different schools use different reading programs but she moved on to a Wren reading program just as she um, was coming into the summer term at school and it took her a long time to get there but bear in mind she she started school in 2020 so she had a good deal of of 
homeschooling from you know the newly qualified teacher known as mum um (laughs) (laughs) which which actually mostly took place outside because she hated being cooped up inside parenting is so much easier in my for, for for me outside and so we'd go to the park and we'd go to the woods and we would count leaves and we would go through our colors in that way and we'd talk about the science of rain and the how the brook filled with water and all of that sort of stuff and she did do forest school um in reception at primary school and then it stopped and they they only got forest school for one year and it was such a shame because they learnt so much outside um, and it was it was just a great way of, of learning. So if your school has a forest school programme that's still going, <laughs> you know, don't ever think that it's not learning because it really is. It's it's flipping awesome um, and, it, and it gets them moving and exploring and learning and breathing fresh air, <laughs> exactly, which is brilliant. Um, and uh and and it gives them the ability to sit there and well look around their environment and start describing things as well doesn't it charlotte it gives them that opportunity to explore the language of the environment around them too so um yeah when i actually in one of my previous roles when i was working in the nhs um i was primarily focusing on what we call health promotion so this means basically like educating the universal population about health and good health and and being a bit preventative as well giving people the skills before they reach crisis point so in terms of speech and language therapy that means um giving the universal population advice about how they could be supporting speech and language development um, and things that they can be doing with every child to maybe prevent some of those kids then needing a referral and one of the big projects that we worked on was something called walk and talk so the idea that you can go out with your kids and walk and talk and there's just so many language learning opportunities um by getting outside and talking about the things that your kids are interested in outside yeah one of the things that daisy mentioned on on our podcast and i think she also mentioned it on on the webinar she did with you as well was um actually using play to talk to your kids and 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 utilizing that to actually have conversations with them and um and i think that was that was one of the the good things that we got out of of like walking you know trialing walking from where we would park to the school as well because we could say I could say oh and and this is where we're going to be walking down and might bump into some friends around here and we'll you know we'll wait at the school gate until the gates open and then we'll go in and go into your classroom and so she'd get the idea and the plan of what was going to happen and how it was going to happen I'd get the plan of what was going to happen and how it was going to happen um but then like you know the the other day she broke up on uh, on her last day of school was uh the friday so she well she broke up on the thursday so she was off on the friday and i thought oh gosh what am i going to do with her i need to get her out the house so we went for a walk and um and this time we walked from our current house to our new house because it's only a 10 minute walk down the road so we walked from our current house to our new house and we spoke about the changes that we were going to have moving into a new house and you know how where her bedroom was going to be and what she might want it to look like and then when we finally got to the new house she was like oh it is how I remember it and there's a field there and that's awesome and we could do this and then on the way home she sounded so much less anxious about the move and what it would mean and 
not having to share a bedroom anymore and all of that sort of stuff and um yeah get getting getting out and moving does really help facilitate those conversations and and everything as well so yeah guys in the run-up to <laughs> getting your kids to school take them to the park <laughs> do some core exercises and talk to them about what's going to happen and and try not to use the word big school <laughs> <laughs> No, it's even thinking about talking, oh, sorry, Charlotte, um, even thinking about talking, when you pick them up in that, I mean, one of the, the elements of our, our skip program is the week in, you know, once they're mm. in, because obviously the transition doesn't suddenly stop. Um, but, you know, leaving school and walking to, if you can park a bit further away, that walk gives them, I always say, you know, children learn and communicate best when you're side by side, because mm. the you know that's where they have the space to open if you're right in front of them and you know they just don't have the space so if you're side by side as a parent or a teacher it's always far better for their communication and, and their, their ability to share um but if you can allow that space for them because there will be times where they just need to decompress on the way back to the car with you or on the way back to home or bus stop or whatever it is um and that just allows them to do that in a, in a emotionally safe space what were you going to say, Charlotte? I'm so sorry. Oh, I was just thinking of something that as you were talking, Louise, about um, obviously you were using that strategy for supporting your daughter with their transition to the new home. And it just reminded me of um, the conversations I had with both of my kids. So they both were given a transition morning uh, recently. Mm -hmm. So um, my daughter went from nursery to her new reception class and my son went from his year one to his two year two class and I gave them both a challenge um hers included some of those more uh, robust things like see if you can find the toilet yeah um, but for both of them I said to them I want you to be thinking about something that's going to be the same and something that's going to be different and I think that that's something that we can do for any new situation whether that's a new class or um moving house or whatever some things will remain the same and some things will be different I think that's quite an easy way to enter into communication and you know sometimes briefing our kids ahead of time and then talking about it again later is a really useful strategy and you can always throw in some visual supports there if you need to you know I'm a big fan of doing everything <laughs> visually um so just yeah briefing them that you're going to ask them to identify one thing that's the same it doesn't have to be a big conversation you know if a child needs a little bit more structure with that conversation that could be a really nice way to do it yeah I love that um do you know it was just thinking about the transitions it is all so transferable isn't it whether mm. it's you know secondary school primary school whether it's a new teacher a new house whether they're starting a new um a new club you know it's all so transferable and I think one thing that both Charlotte and I definitely agree on is that the 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 detail is where the children feel most secure Mm. you know that impacts their communication their behavior their you know achievement all of it the the security is in the details the more detail they get the safer their brain feels because they are absolutely led in those early years particularly through that you know that survival brain and to survive yeah. you need to feel in control and we feel most in control when we have the details of what's happening or what that looks like and and you know how that's going to run so if you're thinking about how to support your child in any transition think about the details that they need and and don't think anything is un, you know irrelevant or unnecessary because the detail really is so important to all of them 
even so in that like thinking about the details that you think you know your child the best so think about which are the details that are most important to them and that might not be the same as what the details that were important for your other child who also went or what your friend's doing to prepare them so my daughter wants to know which of the toilets in school have hand dryers in them she doesn't like the sound of a hand dryer and so actually I was lucky because she was able to talk to me about that and I know that not everyone has that um sense but you probably do know if your child is uh, scared of hand dry noise so try and put yourself in your child's shoes think about the things that they particularly like and the things that they particularly don't like and maybe use that as a way of thinking about which details might be particularly important to them um so that you can talk through those details with them yeah the, the details element is is 100 percent spot on my my daughter did a summer camp for the first week of the summer holidays with her dance school and she asked me all those important things like where is it and luckily she'd been there before where to where it was being held so she knew the environment already um and so I could say oh okay it's it's where you did your dance exams it's going to be there oh okay I know where that is um and she she wanted to know all the details really and luckily they provided us with a timetable of all the activities and what they'd be doing and so I could run through that timetable with her and she was like it says quiz but what what's the quiz going to be about and I was like I don't know babe but I'm sure it'll be something really fun and because you're going to go see the Wizard of Oz it's probably going to have some questions about the Wizard of Oz in it and she was like oh okay great and so she came back and I was like, oh, how was the quiz? And she was like, you were right. It had some bits about the Wizard of Oz in it. And we'd been we'd been learning um, one of the songs from the Wizard of Oz. And it asked us about the line from the song. And, um, and, and it had questions about dancing in it too. And I was like, well, there you go. You already knew all the answers. And she was like, actually, I did. And I was like, brilliant. <laughs> she's like me uh very competitive uh but yeah no she she had a great time in the end but I think some of the ambiguity around the timetable although the timetable was very detailed about when things were going to happen um it wasn't detailed about exactly what those things were and so it said like playing games well what games are we going to play I was like, I don't know it's going to be a surprise on the day or um you know uh, sports day what's going to happen on sports day I was game I don't know but imagine like it's sports day at school um and so we could we could add a little bit of extra color to it um by making some assumptions but you know but that having that timetable alone was helpful um and then we we also went onto the website for the Wizard of Oz and had a look at who the cast were and um and my husband put on the film for her to watch so that she got an idea of of what uh, what to sort of expect from the from the stage show as well so you know yeah 100% adding adding that color and helps to take away that anxiety doesn't it and and giving some extra detail about what they can expect um i think that was one of the things that i forgot about when she went into year one if I'm honest uh there Charlotte was the toilets <laughs> because in reception the toilets were in the classroom so they were easy to find there wasn't a hand dryer um and uh and it was because that would have been too disruptive to the classroom environment so they had paper towels um but when they moved into year one there were quite a few accidents in the class because the toilets were outside of the classroom and they could only go during break times or they had to remember to actually ask to go to the toilet and I think that was one of the strange things transitioning from reception to year one they knew they could ask 
but they also knew they could go whenever they wanted because the toilets were right there in the classroom. And so the number of kids who came home in their PE kits <laughs> at the very beginning uh, was quite numerous. But again, there, there, Sam, having PE kit days would not be helpful to that because <laughs> they would never change your clothes in the first place. <laughs> Yeah. I think when it comes to all of these things, you know, even when we don't know the answers, just throwing out some ideas, maybe mm. is the best word that you can practice with your children when it comes to this sort of stuff, because and I do it with my son a lot because I, you know, I often don't know the question, the answer to his questions. He has lots of very interesting questions. Um, and I, I will kind of almost, you know, have a, have a little, um, a thought process with him but oh maybe it might be this or maybe it could be that or maybe it might be. and then you know you've covered so many maybes that the gray area doesn't seem so scary anymore because mm. there's so many things that there there could be and some children love that some children are like oh my goodness that's too many options you know that's that's a bit overwhelming but you know your child yeah. um, the best so you'll know how many maybes can go in that gray zone um mm. but I think sometimes practicing with them that you don't know everything is great anyway and then you know getting them to think maybe rather than I don't know is a great support when it comes to building those belief structures as well yeah we've we've well and truly moved from mummy knows everything to now mummy knows nothing territory <laughs> um now now she knows everything um and I just tag along for the ride so <laughs> we've got to that stage of of childing now where apparently I know nothing at all so uh, I apparently now own a teenager um she is seven but she's actually 13 so there you go <laughs> you did well to get to seven my three-year-old tells me that he he knows more than I do so you know <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh well I think that we've actually covered quite a lot of, of useful stuff for, for all the, the hopefully mums and dads who are listening today. Um, uh, I've, I've said it before, this podcast isn't just for mums, dads are allowed. <laughs> parents, so, and carers. parents and carers, yeah. A couple of top tips for everyone. Um, I'm thinking uh, that, you know, we've got the the way we describe things the language that we use in describing those things so like big school um you know uh, taking taking our children out to to discuss those certain things with them um but also um you know certain activities to help with sitting for longer um and um and getting them used to the idea of school with those with those visual props as well um so uh what well, yeah, I think preparation is key, isn't it? Preparation is key and practice makes progress. And yeah. if you want more support, then pop over to speechtherapywithcharlotte.com and you can join our program, our online program, skipping skip into September, primary prepared. And we have um three kind of video workshops that you can work through at a time that suits you but the key time points are things that you can be doing when your child is one month away from school things that you can be doing when your child is one week away from starting school and things you can be doing when they have started school a week ago so one week in um, and I think we really wanted to just like have really easy actionable tools that you can have in your toolkit but like feeding them to you at the time in which you might need them these are the things that might be cool to do now 
these are things that might be cool to do no no so hopefully um anyone who's listening and thinks actually preparation is key i want to work on this a bit more you can join us in that absolutely i also would you know just kind of encourage you if you do have a child who's starting a school nursery mm. uh, and you're thinking about this you know it's not just about reception if you are thinking about school readiness if they're moving and that transition is from a you know a day nursery or not a nursery at all and they're starting a school nursery then this this applies to you absolutely as well um so please do kind of have a look um i also i think one of my biggest takeaways for for everyone listening is that it is always physiology first um and just to circle back to it's never too late so, you know, if your child didn't crawl, you can practice crawling with them, even though they can walk. You know, mm. if they don't like climbing or, you know, even children who are a bit older um, and already at school, they're growing endlessly. So their physiology is changing endlessly, too. So there, it's never too late. Practice always makes progress. Um, and I think that, you know, all of the things are absolutely transferable. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today and spending some time with me to to discuss this and hopefully help um help my listeners feel a little bit less anxious about the transition to whichever school their children are going to whether that's a, a school nursery or an, or primary school or secondary school um and you know uh, again I think even some of what we've spoken about even applies to university it's a huge move from from school to to uni and again you have the same fears as the first day of primary school are they going to make friends are they gonna can you trust them to learn um it's a, can they feed themselves exactly can they do their own laundry this time um so you know about my dietary um needs at, at uni it was a very interesting experience <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's huge takeaways for, for everyone at every different stage um, from the discussion that we've just had and and loads of different ways that they can be applied. So I just want to, you know, thank you again um, for joining me. Please do make sure to um, check them out on their socials. They're both on Instagram. I'll follow both of them. But you'll find um, you'll find Charlotte at um speech therapy with Charlotte and um, you will find um, Sam at um, SPD tuition and coaching on Instagram as well and from there you can navigate to their websites um, and find out more about um, about their starting school in September program too so um, please do check them out do um, pass this on to your friends if you've got any friends who are worried about their little ones or even big ones starting school um and you know always please give us some feedback and, and let us know um if this was helpful to you thank you very much ladies thank you if you enjoyed this episode of mum's work and chaos please make sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting channel you're listening on at the moment or if you'd like to get involved feel free to email me at mumsworkandchaos at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at mumsworkandchaos. See you then.